Hello, 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 folks, and welcome to a World Cup T20 special on Sports Weekly India. Without further ado, we're moving straight into World Cup mode. Qualifiers are underway, or well, round one as they're being called. Uh, the main tournament is still a few days away, and well, for all of you who are following this closely, you've seen a couple of upsets already at the time we're recording this. Who knows, Sri Lanka and West Indies may just not make the final cut. But our focus today is for the top eight teams that are already in the next round. We dive into the pros, the cons, the strengths, the weaknesses, and who really has the best chance. I'm going to do my level best to put RK and Ayaz on the spot as always. But before we begin, a reminder to download Binge Pods and listen to this show for free. You can also catch this episode and all others on your favorite app, including Spotify, GeoSavan, Amazon Prime Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our World Cup specials. Let's go. Welcome to the show, RK. Welcome, Ayaz. What do you guys think? How's it shaping up so far? Firstly, if you ask me, I think it's going to be one of the best World Cups ever. The reason why I say that is, look, what constitutes a good World Cup? You need to have great venues. In Australia, you've got these iconic venues, fantastic capacity, something like the Melbourne Cricket Ground can hold people in excess of uh, or close to about 100,000. Good teams, you shouldn't be able to predict a clear favourite, which is exactly what this uh, T20 World Cup is all about. Upsets, you should have them. And we've seen early on in this tournament in round one, West Indies have been beaten, Sri Lanka have been beaten. So there is an air of unpredictability about it all. And that is really what excites me as a sports fan. And which is why I think this could be one of your best ever T20 World Cups. I think if you look at the first few matches, uh, and remember, this is, we are still not into the main draw, so to speak. We're just into the group matches where some of the teams aiming or aspiring to qualify are playing. And as you mentioned at the start, uh, that there have been upsets uh, already. Sri Lanka losing, West Indies losing to Minnow teams, to Namibia and then to Scotland. It just shows that there is a certain pattern when the main draw starts. And that could make the tournament extremely exciting. Well, we're going to dive straight into our main few teams. Uh, we've got a lot to go through here. We've got India, Pakistan, England, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, Afghanistan and of course, perennial underdogs, Bangladesh. As far as India is concerned, okay, let's look at the strengths first up. I think the strength is the intent with which they've approached the game. Post the last World Cup, I think India scores at almost 10 and over, which is almost 200 runs per game. That is good to see from Rohit Sharma and company. Bowling department, good to see Mohamed Shami back in the mix. I know we've just seen that one over, at least on the evidence of what we saw against Australia in that warm-up game. He bowled that critical 20th over. He looked good. The 19th over, the one prior to that, basically from Harshal Patel, was very, very encouraging. I think the weakness is probably in terms of uh, India not having an express fast bowler or a couple of express fast bowlers. So that could be an area of concern. And also the big grounds. In the warm-up game against Australia, a lot of these Indian batters were out, uh, caught in the deep. So that is something that India will have to look at. But as far as the players that I would want to look out for, uh, KL Rahul, I think the pitches will suit him very, very well. Suri Kumar Yadav has been in excellent form. But I think my pick will be 
Hardik Pandya in terms of how he uses those strikes uh, as far as Hardik Pandya, the bowler, goes because he has got that ability to get the most out of that track. So I think that is something that I look at. Uh, and also an Arshdeep Singh. Probably he's somebody who's a left-arm seamer. He's come uh, quite some distance ever since he made his debut earlier this year as far as internationals are concerned. So yeah, these are the players that I would want to watch out for as far as India is concerned. How far can India go? That is something that we always think about, isn't it? We'd want to see them at least in the semi-finals to begin with. After that, who knows what can happen. It really depends on the day. Well, thanks, RK, for that run-through of India. Ayaz, I'm going to come next straight to you with Pakistan. This is a team that's brimming with confidence. Do they really have what it takes to go all the way or will it be another almost story like the Asia Cup? Well, on the face of it, they seem to have the the wherewithal, the resources. Uh, They've been a little iffy where the batting is concerned, especially in the middle order, because Babar Azam and Mohamed Rizwan have been absolutely marvelous. But now they seem to have got their act right with a little tweaking, rejigging of the the batting order. Uh, So they've got somebody like a Shadab Khan coming in earlier to try and play the big strokes. Uh, they've got Masood, who comes in a little earlier, which all these guys were batting lower in the order, Mohammad Nawaz. And this it seems to have been working for Pakistan. I think the big question for Pakistan is going to be the fitness and form of Shaheen Shah Afridi. Remember, he's not had any of the warm-up matches so far. He's been, you know, he's been out because of injury. They've taken him there. Pakistan, the selectors and the team management wanted him really badly. So he's gone there and he is going to be in the main draw. He's not been replaced by some other players. So, that's the good part for Pakistan. And remember, their strength, despite Babar and Mohamed Rizwan, is still in the bowling. Uh, they've got Harris Rauf, they've got Shaheen Shah Afridi, they've got Shadab Khan, they've got spin options, they've got terrific fast bowlers. It's just that Shaheen Shah Afridi, if he's not 100% fit and not picking up wickets in his first spell, then it really eases up the pressure on opposing teams. And that is something that Pakistan wouldn't like at all. But having said that, I think their preparation till the Asia Cup seemed like they were in a spot of bother because the run rate by the batsmen, the strike rate especially, wasn't impressive enough. And there was a lot of criticism, especially from former Pakistan players. They seem to have corrected that. There was worry about the bowling, but they seem to have overcome that also because they've just been performing so much better uh, in against New Zealand and subsequent matches that they've played. So, all in all, I think they look to be a team uh, which would fancy its chances of making it to the knockout. Well, the knockouts, is that as far as they will go or no real shot at the trophy? I think so much hinges on the first match, doesn't it? Because if, if India versus Pakistan, it's a big game. The biggest game of the, of the tournament, at least in, in the first you know, in, in the in the first phase, uh, they could meet again in, in, in later on. But the first phase, because whichever team wins that first match on 23rd October is more or less assured of getting into the knockout phase. Because then you've got a series of matches against the lesser known teams coming up. And look, in this format, anything could happen, but it just eases so much pressure on either of the two teams, whether it's India or Pakistan. Remember, in the last World Cup, India lost to Pakistan first up, then lost to New Zealand and were knocked out. They couldn't even make it to the knockout stage. This time, they've got Pakistan up front and then they've got a match against South Africa. Now, of course, if they win both these matches, then they're coasting into the knockout stage, and also, which is true also for Pakistan. So, winning the first match becomes very crucial. Obviously, winning two matches for both teams would be, you know, is, is the best thing that could happen. So, I think the first match is crucial. And having said that, in this group, I think both teams... India and Pakistan should be fancying their chances of making it to the next round. Well, moving on from Pakistan to who I think are 
probably amongst the top two favorites, if not the favorites, uh, England. They've started off their campaign, even if it's just the warm-up matches against Australia, with an absolute bang, haven't they? Josh Butler seems to have this format sorted. How do you rate them? What are their strengths and weaknesses? You mentioned Josh Butler, and I think his addition into the team. I mean, he was the captain, then he missed out a lot of matches during the home season because of injury. He's come back, and he's come back with a bang. So, you know, if Josh Butler in this form, captaincy... Skills aside, Josh Mottler, Butler in this kind of batting form would be a threat to any team, as he has shown, you know, against Australia. And then you've got other guys who are coming good. Uh, you know, there's David Malan, who's, who's, despite all the criticism against him and some even questioned his selection, he's come good. They've got Moin Ali, who's been, who's a T20 specialist now. He's not playing the other formats. And he's been in good form. Uh, with bat and with ball. I think the, Liam Livingston, he should be making a comeback soon after a spell out because of injury. And he's also a T20 specialist. He can be a very dangerous player, you know, in the middle order. And he can also bowl leg spin. So, very, very crucial player for England. And then there's, of course, Ben Stokes. Who can forget him? He's not looked, uh, you know, he looked a little undercooked heading into this tournament. But hey, he's Ben Stokes. And if he strikes form, you know how rich that form can be with bat or ball. So, England, I think they've seemed, they seem to have ticked all boxes. Adil Rashid is back, always a threat with his leg spin. And they've got a, a slew of, uh, you know, T20 specialist bowlers. Sam Curran is there, Jordan is there, and so on. So, I think they've got a good mix of all-rounders. They've got a couple of very good spinners. And their top order is looking formidable with Josh Butler, and especially in rampaging form. Yeah, that's the thing about players like Ben Stokes, isn't it? They just need a little spark and who knows, they can just make this their own tournament. Fascinating. How far do you see England going? My four places in the knockout which I had picked was uh, England, Australia, Pakistan, India. Of, of course, there, there are threats from other teams. Don't forget South Africa, uh, who can be extremely good on their day. So, I, I think that England should make the cut. I'd be very surprised if they don't make it to the knockout. Well, thanks for that, Ayaz. What do Australia's chances look like, RK? They are the hosts, uh, so does that give them an edge over everyone else? I know they aren't clear favourites, so to speak, but I think Australia will definitely be one of the favourites. That is how good this squad is. They've got a sense of balance about this side. When you look at that playing 11, uh, you normally work around that number 7, which is Matthew Wade, who's been in great form for Australia. Then you've got uh, Adam Zampa, who's been excellent. And then you've got those three seamers. You've got uh, Josh Hazelwood, Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark. And Kane Richardson is not a bad backup option at all, as we saw in that warm-up game against India. And as far as the top order goes, it's got the power-packed hitters. I don't think there is room for Smith in that lineup. Glenn Maxwell, he played all right against India. Yes, there was a dropped opportunity, but he got some useful runs under his belt. So it's a good, strong-looking unit. And you're playing in conditions that they are extremely familiar with. Uh, So I think overall, it's a very good balance, which is what the strength of this Australian squad is all about. I think as far as the weakness is concerned, as much as uh, it is a strong unit, I don't think they've got the results that they would have desired uh, for uh, coming into this tournament. I think Aaron Finch has spoken about that. He might have wanted to win a few more games, but that hasn't happened. But look, hey, even in the last edition of the World Cup, Australia came into that World Cup without great numbers. But we all know what they did. So that is Australia. They'll they'll always speak at the right time. And that is what is good about the Australian uh, cricketers and Australian cricket in general. Players to watch out for. I know we will 
look at the likes of David Warner, the sensation in uh, Tim David uh, and a few others. But I think two or three players go quietly under the radar. One is Matthew Wade. He's been brilliant for Australia in T20 internationals. He wins you a lot of games. Adam Zampa with the ball. He's been very, very good. He's he's somebody who just ensures those middle orders. He strangulates the batsman. He picks up those wickets as well. And watch out for Mitchell Marsh as well. I think over the last two years, he's been a very, very different batter. But I think uh, as far as areas that they might want to uh, look at, I wouldn't say weakness, but yeah, maybe you can term it that. It's more to do with fitness. Is Stoinis fit enough to play every one of those games? He's had his issues with his uh, side strains. Uh, Mitchell Marsh, again, has uh, battled fitness issues. So these are a couple of things. Because if these guys aren't fit, then you've got to tap into your reserves and then see where you go. So ideally, you would want these two guys to be fit. Otherwise, it's looking a good, good, solid unit. They could go all the way, to be honest. Australia playing in familiar conditions, home support, good squad. Everything points uh, in a a good direction for Australia. But uh, let's wait and watch. Let's wait and watch how they go. And moving on from Australia to South Africa. Uh, Earlier, you mentioned, Ayaz, that South Africa can, uh, you know, be a formidable team on their day. But well, they've they've been battling the chokers tag for what near twenty five years now, ever since ninety two, thirty years almost. In this very country is when they really earned the tag of chokers. But have, do you think things have improved? They had a decent outing against India recently, but do they have what it takes? Well, this is a great opportunity for them to shrug off that chokers tag because uh, you know this is a T twenty game. They've got the players who can win matches. You know, somebody like a Riley. Russo at the top. They've got David Miller as a finisher. They've got Kagizo Rabara. Quinton de Kock, my God. I mean, he could be devastating at the top with the bat and obviously he's a very good wicketkeeper also. So they've got spinners. They've got fast bowlers. Uh, they've got, I think, a very good team. They need somebody like a Babuma to come back into form. You know, I think he, if he's not in good form, you know, somebody who's leading the team, not getting runs, is always going to be a bit of a handicap because then you don't know whether to pick him in the, in the squad or not. And I think maybe, just about maybe, uh, they needed... I mean, you can't get players like Hashim Amla and uh, Sean Pollock and, you know, Jack Kallis. Uh, they don't grow on trees. But if you had, an, uh, you know, either a top-class batsman like uh, Amla, or if you had somebody like a short all-rounder, like a Sean Pollock or Jack Cullis, it makes things that much easier. And of course, Dale Stain will be there as a commentator, but not as a player. So they are missing some very good players. There's no, there's no question about that. But I think the South African team, from the time India went to South Africa and South Africa beat India in the Test Series, they look like a team which is ambitious and which is believing in itself. I think one of the players that to watch out for is Wayne Parnell. He's been in and around this team for about a decade. He's come back strongly. He's a big, strong lad, bowls fast, bowls left arm, and also can talk the ball a bit. Brilliant fielder too. So he could be one of the players below the radar now, but who could come into his own. Well, and you did mention they had the firepower, but do you think they'll make it there? And if they do, at whose expense could that be? So, I mean, this obviously becomes a little, uh, you know, problematic for, for that group where India, Pakistan, South Africa and Bangladesh are there because only two teams can go into the knockout. If India and Pakistan, the, the fate of their match amongst themselves and how they play against South Africa becomes very crucial, I think. Because Bangladesh currently seem to be in a trough, while South Africa are looking stronger and stronger and maybe on an upsurge. So, I think South Africa is going to be the most likely team to trip either India or Pakistan. 
look, T20, anything can happen. It could be Bangladesh or it could be one of those teams which qualifies from the first round. But I think South Africa is the problematic team for India and Pakistan in this group, in this cluster. All right. Well, let's see how it really does go for South Africa. We really do want to see them do well, but uh, we've seen them choke before. Let's talk about New Zealand, Arkesh. Now, they've uh, had a pretty good run. They are the World Test Champions. Uh, they were the losing finals in the 50-over format. Do you think they have a shot at uh, winning this 20-over version? New Zealand. Okay, when you talk about New Zealand, look, uh, there's there's one New Zealand that plays round a year and there's a completely different New Zealand that turns up when it comes to the ICC events. Uh, if you look at what New Zealand has traditionally done, they've always been good at the ICC events. But to be fair, they've been far more consistent off it as well over the last uh, five, six, seven years probably. But this time around, New Zealand, when you look at it, um, it's it's been an interesting journey for them. Uh, since the last edition of the World Cup, they won quite a lot of T20 games, but they won against the likes of uh, Netherlands, they won against the likes of Ireland, but against some of those big teams. Yes, they beat Bangladesh in uh, the Tri-Series that was held recently in New Zealand, but they lost to Pakistan uh, fairly consistently. Um, So I'm not too sure if they've got the legs to go the distance is New Zealand, but uh, we'll see how they really go. As far as key players are concerned, I would like to pick and choose Finn Allen right at the top. I think he's one aggressive batter. He combines with a Devon Conway, who I think takes a little bit of time over the first 10 deliveries and then gets going. So I think it's important for Finn Allen to start. And I'm going to be completely different and probably pick another player who could be a bit of a difference, which is Michael Bracewell. He's the offie who has been used more often than not in the recent past by New Zealand. His uncle was uh, John Bracewell, who used to play for New Zealand many, many years back. So I I think he's done very, very well in the run-up to this edition of the T20 World Cup. I know we've got the likes of Saudi We've got the likes of uh, Tickner, you know, Bolt is around. These are all uh, established campaigners, Bolt and Saudi. Saudi has been playing for years now. But I think Michael Bracewell could make a difference, especially given the fact that you've got those big boundaries in Australia. Kane Williamson, look, he's a very, very smart captain. He'll know exactly how to use, where to use and which end to use Michael Bracewell from. And he's been very, very impressive. How far will they go? Look, I think as far as the group stages are concerned, you've got, uh, I think New Zealand uh, are uh, in the same group as Afghanistan. So there could be a bit of uh, a trial by spin from Rashid Khan and company. But otherwise, you look at that uh, setup, they've got Australia, they've got England. Yes, the teams that have got good fast bowlers, but pace is something that New Zealand would relish. So in that sense, they're okay. They're not paired all with these subcontinental teams. In that sense, they're okay. But it's still a tough one, yeah. Uh, honestly, very, very difficult to say with respect to New Zealand. Indeed, they are not with the subcontinental teams. They also have a little bit of home advantage. Let's see how far they go. There is one subcontinental, almost subcontinental team, really, that has got everyone's fancy and they've really done well over the last few years with a few superstars thanks to the IPL. Let's talk about Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Okay, like this is a side that we all want to see do very, very well because there's this soft corner for Afghanistan always in every Indian's heart because, I mean, there's so much that has happened in that country. So you would want to see them come back fighting. And I think when you look at the strengths of that particular unit, you've got Raman Gurbaz, who is a very, very exciting prospect. Just beautiful to watch. One of those good, solid batters to come through the ranks of Afghanistan. And you've got a stability 
quality in terms of captaincy that is good to see and as far as the bowling is concerned look all are very very good quality bowlers that you're looking at you're looking at rashid khan and company who you expect to do well on almost any surface but yes rashid khan has got the experience of having played in australia he's he's traveled around the world but as a bowling unit as much as you want them to do well can they do well in australian conditions because you look at the games that they've played since the last edition of the world cup it's been predominantly in asian conditions i know they did uh, well in dubai but it's a completely different uh, set of conditions out there in australia the likes of najibullah zadran again excites me because he's he's somebody who can uh, hit the ball hard fantastic to watch but again in australia uh, being grouped with uh, the likes of australia themselves new zealand uh, it's it's definitely not going to be easy for them england in the same group it's it's definitely not going to be easy for them so i think i'll be very surprised if they qualify for the semi finals but who knows what can happen it's it's a very exciting team all right it's come through leaps and bounds in the recent past but i think challenging conditions for uh, afghanistan so i would still be very surprised if they get through and qualify for the semi finals thanks for that uh, wrap on afghanistan rk moving on to the last team our near neighbors bangladesh yes we've spoken at length about bangladesh in the past episodes in all formats i mean they've been at this level for so long that it's ridiculous how long they've been minos any improvement you foresee this time unfortunately not so far on evidence of what we have seen in the last maybe 4 5 6 months uh, they seem to be struggling badly and they've got shakib back as captain whether that will help we'll have to wait and see shakib is yet to hit his straps as a terrific all-rounder we know he is uh, batting scoring runs bowling picking up wickets he seems to be doing that but not to the extent he would or he used to do or he would like to do so uh, shakib's form becomes very very crucial they seem to be floundering a bit in the batting particularly i think somebody like a uh, they've got somia sarkar back they've got litton das uh, these guys have to come up come to the aid of the party because you can't depend only on shakib and i think one of the key players here would be mustafizur how he you know or the fizz as he is called how he performs in this tournament because if bangladesh have to get ahead they need they've been leaking a lot of runs they've been giving away too many runs so even if you're chasing you're doing well if the other team has put up such formidable totals that you fall by or fail by 15 20 runs then it shows where the problem lies so i think they need to really improve in their bowling that's something that would be a bother for bangladesh well let's hope they're able to put up a better show and they really do give the top teams a run for their money it is only important for the game that teams like bangladesh start pulling their weight and are considered amongst the top well that's a wrap on the cricket we will definitely have a couple of special pieces come out later this week as we get confirmation on who the other four teams from the first round are that are making it through moving on we've got somil arora with a wrap of the football and he has some serious questions about what's happening to barcelona and why jurgen klopp was sent off over the weekend thank you folks so many fun stories to talk about in the world of football including firstly barcelona and now the genuine question that's looming over their head is could barcelona actually end up playing in the europa league it, it could be happening you know because barcelona in the champions league this year have been a uh, bittersweet or hot and cold you could put it that way firstly they drew 3-3 against inter milan which was a really frantic match then they won 5-1 against vitoria pilsen again expected then they lost 2-0 to bayern munich some might call that expected but in a much anticipated and a must win fixture against inter milan 
Barcelona lost 1-0. And you might be wondering, what's the common thread? Why have they been so inconsistent in a way? And I think the answer to that clearly has to go down to their defence because they clearly have major issues. Even though they bought major players like Jules Kunde and Andres Christensen and Marcos Alonso and the likes, they are not able to maintain all these players in a fit condition because Andreas Christensen has suddenly become injured. We now have to see Eric Garcia team up with Herat Pique and Jules Kunde has also not been doing pretty well in terms of his fitness. He played the El Clasico this past Sunday where Barcelona lost 3-1 and he clearly, clearly was not in perfect condition. And so Barcelona were just not able to contain Real Madrid and Vinicius Jr. at all as they ended up scoring three goals. That's their major issue. And they have been conceding so many. Three against Inter Milan in their first game, one against Inter Milan right now, three against Real Madrid in the La Liga, which means that they've also lost the league of the, of the La Liga right now, which is a bit of a scary sight for them, but I think they can claw back. But it doesn't work to have someone like Gerard Piquet playing right now because you can tell that the pace is non-existent for PK right now. He's clearly too old, clearly he's not got enough in the bag. And when you're playing someone like Jules Kunde along with Eric Garcia, when Kunde is not even fit, ah, that's, that's, that's a weird place to be in. And no wonder that Barcelona lost 3-1 to Real Madrid in the La Liga. And the tricky part is, if they don't end up winning against Bayern Munich in the coming Thursday, I think that's on the 27th of October, they could very well go down into the Europa League along with many other major clubs like AC Milan. So, it's a little, little tricky time for them. But let's hope that they get the right players on the track because their defence is struggling and frankly, they need more creativity in their attack as well. Because, yes, they've got Lewandowski, Rafinha who are able to create chances but that clinical finishing touch is unfortunately missing. If you can believe it, with Lewandowski present as well. So, Barcelona's troubles could be really, really big in a matter of a couple of weeks if they don't end up beating Bayern Munich. And they could join the likes of Juventus and potentially even AC Milan to go down into the Europa League. And perhaps, if things really go badly, even Atletico Madrid and Ajax too. So, big clubs are actually facing a really tough time. But on the other side, I want to talk about Man City because they have actually lost their first game of the Premier League in a crazy fixture against Liverpool that actually saw Jurgen Klopp get sent off. Yes, Jurgen Klopp, the manager. I'm not going about 30 years in time to talk about Jurgen Klopp, the player. But it was really weird what happened because Man City, unfortunately, were just not able to create many great chances, if that sounds right. Because City usually are the team that has so many players to create chances. But unfortunately, they weren't quite able to do so. And that happened even though Liverpool had a really makeshift attack. Uh, makeshift defence, I'm sorry, because their major players were unavailable. They had to play James Milner, Joe Gomez, Virgil van Dijk and uh, Andrew Robertson. So no Alexander-Arnold as well, no Matip either. That, that was a really weird defence line, but that was surprisingly able to s- sustain all the pressure from the likes of De Bruyne, Bernardo, Erling Holland and Phil Foden, which was not expected at all. We saw Holland really pocketed by the Liverpool defence, but I think where the game really was won by the by the one critical point where Mohamed Salah actually ended up scoring his goal at the end, where he got a long ball and he was able to convert it. And that long ball came from Alisson of all people in the 76 minutes. So Liverpool, they created more chances. They were more clinical. But I can't believe that Man City were not able to put one in the back of the net. They just seemed toothless. And Liverpool were able to block every single chance that they created at the very end. And had it not been for Salah, who knows where this match would have gone? Because we saw a couple of instances where the Liverpool striker now, when Nunez at the end of the game was also very lacklustre in the way he played. So, 
crazy that Liverpool have finally won a game. I don't know if it still puts that back on track because now they are 8th in the league with 13 points and Arsenal are leading with 27. So there's still a long way to go. But now what this does do is essentially put Man City in a tricky spot because now they are 4 points behind Arsenal in the league. Oh my God, this is going to be crazy to see how it plays out. Thanks for that, Somil. And with the final piece of this episode, here's Somil again talking about Max the Champ. Thanks, guys. Now, I remember discussing in the last episode that we should talk more about why Max Verstappen is such a deserving champion. And I'll just list down a few great performances by him this year so that you understand what makes him so special. For instance, firstly, at the Hungarian Grand Prix, he made his first and I think only driver error of the season when he spun out from the lead of the race and immediately bounced back to end up winning the race by around 10 seconds. So there's one example of how Max Verstappen has been tremendous. There at the Belgian GP, if you can believe it, he won from P14 on the grid. Yes, 14th. He won from 14th with a 15-second margin at the end. He was just on another level at that race. And then also, the last time out at the Brazil, at, not the Brazilian GP, but at the Japanese GP, we had an almost 30-minute race, which Verstappen won by almost 30 seconds. That's almost a second per lap. Max this year has been on a totally different level and that comes with Red Bull Racing also elevating their car at a totally different level. Because I remember sharing the story early on in the year on Sports Weekly that Red Bull Racing were facing some major reliability issues like engine problems and the turbo unit not really working well at races like Australia and Bahrain. But after that, Ferrari has been facing major reliability issues and Red Bull Racing suddenly faced none. They were immaculate with their strategy, Red Bull, that is. They just consistently made the right decisions to back Max Verstappen all the time. And yes, it meant sacrificing Sergio Perez at times. But this means that Verstappen has now sealed the championship in almost record time. And he's won 12 races so far this year. That's just one shot of Sebastian Vettel and Michael Schumacher's all-time record of 13 Formula 1 wins in one season. And by the way, Verstappen could break that because we've got four more races coming up. So he could well become the most successful driver percentage-wise in a Formula 1 season in terms of number of wins taken. So he's just on a different level. And last year, I mentioned this incredible stat on Sports Weekly as well, that he barely finished outside P2 ever. I think he only finished outside P2 once in a race where he got taken out, that is. And the rest of the times he's just consistently first or second or first or second. And this year, he's just, I think, gone and bettered that sort of performance in terms of the quality of drives. There's only ever been one mistake in Hungary. And there's only ever been one real team-based error. That was in Singapore, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, when their team forgot to fuel Max's car properly. And even then, Verstappen bounced back and had a pretty decent race, finishing in P7. This has been Max's year. And as much as he's been elevating his performances to the other level, Ferrari have been downgrading their performances. They've had poor reliability issues, poor strategic decisions, bad pit lane calls. And uh, can you believe it? They actually used to spend 30 seconds a race consistently asking drivers long questions about strategies while in the middle of a fight. Can you believe that? Uh, asking a driver, okay, what strategy do you want to go? Option A or option B? This is what we we'll do when we go to option A. This is what we we'll do when we go to option B. That's just ridiculous. A driver is almost like driving a fighter pilot jet. Uh, you can't be asking them stuff like that in the middle of an intense competition. And so that just goes to show how Ferrari have been really poorly managed and poorly coordinated. Sometimes they didn't even have tyres ready. Sometimes they had the wrong tyres ready that nobody else would ever go to. 
and sometimes they would ask their driver to pit when they were racing with another driver side by side. They have been just an absolute joke of a team, unfortunately, this year. And that's just handed the title to Max Verstappen and Red Bull Racing so easily. But don't, don't get confused. They haven't just won it because Ferrari were bad. Red Bull and Verstappen have been on a totally different level. And I can't wait to see how things go in the last couple of races as well of the year, which starts off firstly this weekend with the USGP. I'll be back with more on the race rather soon on Sports Weekly. See you then, folks. Well, Max really is a champ and that's a wrap for us on this episode of Sports Weekly India. We hope you'll be back next week to join us. Until then, keep listening and we'll be back with a lot more updates every week. Italy.